Merry Christmas, everybody. It's so great to have you all here with us this morning to celebrate this day. Uh, but as we've been talking about, yes, this day, Christmas Day is an important day, but every day is an important day. And really, every day can be Christmas, maybe not with children getting gifts, uh, but every day is a day that we should be celebrating Emmanuel. Every single day, we should be celebrating the good news as we heard about last night. We've had some incredible Christmas services, our family service at Allgate and Verdun, and then last night, if anyone was here, was incredibly special. So I want to take a moment to just thank all of our volunteers, everyone who served from whether it's welcome to this team to all hands on deck. Can we just take a moment and, and thank everyone who's been involved? It's been an incredible effort. From cooking barbecues through to singing and preaching and all sorts of things. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Dave and it is always a privilege to be able to preach the word of the Lord. Uh, welcome to Hills Baptist. Our vision as... Craig said is to see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed. And that's why we do this. This is, the Lord's pressed this on my heart. This is not just a religious thing that we do. We don't do this because it's something that we should do. We don't come to church on a Christmas day because it's just the right thing to do. No, no, this is worship. As we just heard about, this is the most extraordinary thing. That God would come to redeem humanity and so we come to worship him and to lift up his name and to, to give him praise. And that's why the theme of our Christmas has been all eyes on Jesus. We've been talking about all eyes on Jesus. Last night, Nick preached a great word from the book of Luke, looking at what, uh, what, did, the, what did the shepherds see and, and how did that impact them? And today I want to bring us a different perspective, a different set of eyes from Matthew chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1 through to 12 as we look at these different eyes on Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw, everyone say saw, Louder than that, say saw. There we go, we're waking up. His star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for me, uh, carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, everyone say seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active. And Lord, we ask that you would speak through your word this Christmas morning. Lord, I pray that this would not just be another Christmas message. I pray that this would not just be another message that we come to, we hear and we forget a week from now. No, Lord, may this bear fruit. May this be a word that is a seed that, that stays, that lasts a lifetime, that we don't just remember, but it impacts our lives, that we would go out, that we would see you, Jesus, high and lifted up, and it would radically transform the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, 2021 has been an interesting year uh, for many of us, and something happened to me this year that has, that has really deeply disturbed me and I think should probably worry you. Uh, and that is that my 10-year-old son almost beat me in a game of chess. <laughs> now, this is troubling for a couple of reasons. One, he's 10 and I'm not. Two, I really don't like to lose at anything which means I have to spend a lot of time playing chess next year to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Thirdly, if he's almost beating me at 10, I may well have a number of years of losing ahead of me, which means I could be very grumpy for a long time to come. It's fascinating. I was, I was thinking about that in the preparation for this message and there was this, this one moment in this game of chess when I realised I was in an awful lot of trouble and was going to have to really knuckle down in order to get through it. Because we start and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I've got him covered. We're going to be all right. And then I realised it's getting closer. And I'm, like, I'm starting to get a bit stressed. The jumper came off and started to, you know, instead of spending 10 seconds between moves, it was 30 and then 40 seconds and then five minutes. And he's just like, hurry up, Dad, make your move. I'm like, just be quiet for a moment. Let me think this through. And there was this one, one move where I'd been thinking for a number of minutes, staring at the board, like just looking at the board. What am I going to do? What's the next move? How should I respond to what he's just done? I'm staring down at the board. And after a number of minutes, I eventually, you know, take one of the pieces on the board, slowly shift it. You know when you look up just to see if you can see their face, if they've seen something you haven't? Bailey's just like deadpan, just staring. I move the piece, I remove my hand, and then all of a sudden this huge smile comes across his face <laughs> as he just very quickly takes his bishop, slides it towards my queen and just rips my queen off the table and begins laughing as loud as he could. And he goes, I can't believe you didn't see it. And then proceeds to rub it in, didn't you, mate? Mum! I can't believe he didn't see it. Mabel, Benji, I can't believe he didn't see it. And he's laughing away and I'm just like, oh. I did win. <laughs> just for the record. I can't believe he didn't see it. I want to preach today on the topic of I can't believe they didn't see it. How many of you know that you in life can be looking at the exact same scene 
as someone else and see something completely differently. How many of you know that two people can be looking at a pair of grey and aqua shoes and see something completely different? Anyone remember that? Some people, some of you think it's pink and white. It's not pink and white. It's definitely grey and blue. Some of you can look at a golden pink dress and think it's black and white. There's all these different things. Sometimes two people can be surveying the exact same scene and not see the same thing. And we see this in the everyday of life. We see it in problem solving where we looked at maths just before Lauren put an equation up. I didn't see anything but just lines. Some of you saw common sense. You can be looking at the same scene but see different things. And this is so true of the Christmas narrative. This is so true of this story of Jesus, which is not mythological. It's not a fable. This is a true historical event that happened in human history with real people, in real situations, with real responsibilities. And all of them saw the same scene, yet saw something different in the midst of that scene. How do we know that? Because our response reveals the depth of what we have seen. We talk in this church about actions reveal beliefs. What we do with something reveals the nature of how we have seen it. How has it impacted our lives? And so what I want to do this morning is take a look at this passage and and pick on four groups or, or individual people and see what did they see and how do we know that's what they've seen? And how did they miss it? Like what, what, would, what would those, you know, what would the shepherds think about Herod? I can't believe he didn't see it. What would the Magi think about the chief priests? I can't believe they didn't see it. Let's have a look. Let's dive in. First person I want to focus on is King Herod. As we come to this text... It says, when King Herod heard this, he heard the news that the, that the Magi had come and said, we've seen this star, the king of the Jews. So they've come, King Herod, it says he heard this and he was disturbed. That Greek word disturbed is the, is the word terosso, terasso. And it means to have a deep inner turmoil. And so Herod... In seeing, who did he see? He saw the Magi. He saw the Magi and he saw them with with pomp and ceremony, gifts ready, looking for a king. And in seeing these pagan Persian priests bringing gifts for the king of the Jews that wasn't him, his response is that he is deeply disturbed, that he finds himself in inner Turmoil. Why? Because instead of seeing a king, he sees a threat. And this is so true of humanity today. Sometimes when we look at Jesus, we see in our world that people, they don't see a king worth worshipping. What they see is a threat to our livelihood. What we see is a threat to our own kingdom. You see, Herod was known as the king of the Jews. Herod was a king who served under Roman occupation and his role 
was king over the Jews. He was a half-Jewish person and he was benevolent in some ways and where he did these incredible building structures. He started building the second temple. He did incredible things and yet he was also a tyrant. And so he would, anyone who tried to uh, come against his kingdom or possibly challenge his kingship, it like stirred something up within him. Why? Because he wanted to be his own king. Because he wanted to rule his own kingdom. How many times in our lives does Jesus come and challenge that in us? Every single one of us in different areas of our lives want to hold our own kingdoms. We want to be God of our own lives. That phrase, king of the Jews, Herod himself, in hearing this, he says, where, like they said, where is the one who is to be born king of the Jews? And Herod says to the chief priest, where is the Messiah? So Herod understands, the Jewish culture understood this phrase, king of the Jews, to mean saviour, to mean Messiah, to mean the anointed one, to mean the one who would rescue and redeem. And Herod sees himself, he's like, I, I'm the king of the Jews. There can't be another king of the Jews because he's going to be challenging my kingdom. He's going to be challenging my rule and reign. You see, when we properly see Jesus and we see him for who he is, it will cause us to bow the knee. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, the claims of Jesus will lead us to one of two things. Either we will crown him or kill him. But what we cannot do is say, wow, what an interesting guy. Herod sees a threat. And because he wants to crown himself, he seeks to kill Jesus. I wonder, what do you see this Christmas? I wonder, how will you respond to the king of the Jews? Number two. We see the people of Jerusalem. Watch this. King Herod heard this and he was disturbed. And then it says, and all Jerusalem with him. Isn't that interesting? I've, like, I've read this thing so many times and I've never seen that little phrase. And all Jerusalem with him. That means when the Magi entered Jerusalem, it, w- it caused a stir. It wasn't a secret entry that you know, they just slipped into Herod's palace There were people everywhere like, what the heck is going on? What are these dudes doing here for? Like it impacted them in a big way. And interestingly, it says the exact same word. He was disturbed. He was terrasso. He had this deep inner turmoil and all Jerusalem with him. The whole city has this inner angst on account of what has been seen. Why? You see, if Herod saw a threat, and I don't think this is stretching it too far, I think the people saw trouble because they knew that Herod could be a tyrant. And I think when you realise that someone is going to challenge Herod's kingship, oh, there could be trouble. What do the people do in response to trouble? Nothing. This is the Messiah they've been waiting for, for hundreds of years since the last prophecy. For thousands of years, they've been longing and waiting for this king to come. And word gets out that the king is here 
And the people don't go to Bethlehem. Why do they not go? They just carry on with their lives. Maybe it's because they're busy with their day-to-day. Jerusalem's hustle and bustle. I don't know. Or maybe it's that there's, it's just too troubling. It's going to impact my life too much to go out of my way to go and see this king. I'd rather just carry on. I'd rather just keep the status quo. I'd rather just lay low and do my thing. I don't want to cause trouble. I don't want to cause any fuss. I definitely don't want Herod to start to mess with my life in a way that I'm not happy with. We're just going to stay here. So we're disturbed, but we don't act. I wonder what that looks like for us. King Jesus will mess with your values hierarchy. King Jesus will cause something in your life to change. Again, you either crown him or kill him. You can't say what an interesting guy. The fascinating thing about this is the very people who ignored him then became inquisitive about him, but ultimately executed him and stood there as a cry with all of Jerusalem saying, crucify, crucify, crucify. Why? Because he, this King Jesus demands a bowing of the knee. Number three, the next group, chief priests and leaders. When he had called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Listen to this. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then what do the chief priests and the teachers of the Lord do? Nothing. Isn't that fascinating? That pagan priests from Persia see the star and will go to Bethlehem to see the king of the Jews and yet the priests of God's people know the prophecy but miss the person. They know the word, but they don't obey the word. They have great literacy, but they have no intimacy. And this is a very real thing for the people of God. This is a very real thing for the church right now. We can be, we can be literate in the word, but if the written word doesn't lead us to the living word, then it's a pointless word. And we need to be very careful that we don't have this ability to quote scripture, but miss the person, and miss the saviour. That all of this, we say it all the time, this beautiful, incredible word is a unified story that points to Christ. It should lead us to that response of falling on our knees in worship. This word cannot just be an academic exercise. We can't just say, well, I know the prophecy. The prophecy points to a person. And the chief priests and the teachers knew it better than anybody. Than anybody. If anyone should be going, they're like, what? You saw the star? We've been looking for the star for 400 years. Where? Where? Let's go. What do they do? Oh, it's in Bethlehem. Let's just carry on with our religious duty that we have to do in Jerusalem. Don't get so busy just doing the religious rituals that you miss the intimacy of God in Christ Jesus. Christmas is about intimacy. Emmanuel, God with us. Not God just hovering over us at a distance, giving instruction. The whole 
point of Christmas is so that it would lead to a place of devotion. It can't just be information. It has to be devotion. And when you see him properly, devotion is the only possible outcome. Because if what you get is head knowledge and religious duty but no intimacy, then you haven't seen him clearly. The chief priests and the teachers of the law didn't see clearly because they didn't go and stand near the Messiah who has been promised, who they've been waiting for. The guys are teaching about him. They're teaching, they're instructing others about him and yet miss him. The moment he comes. May we not be like the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Let's not be people who teach about the Saviour, but ultimately say, no, that's not for me. Number four, the Magi. What did the Magi see? To start with, where is the one who has been born? Verse two, King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose. And we have come to do what? Come on, Christmas morning. Worship. We have seen his star and we came to worship. Notice it didn't say we saw his star and we were interested. We saw his star or we were intrigued. We saw his star and we thought, ah, fascinating story. No, they saw his star and they travelled miles and miles. Like they travelled for probably potentially up to a thousand kilometres on foot. Not just to look at this site, but to worship the Saviour. And they weren't even Jewish. These guys are descendants from Daniel's school. Daniel. Daniel on the lion's den, Daniel. The wise man, Daniel, clearly somewhere along the line had started to teach that there is a king coming, not just for the Jews, but who would be a light for the Gentiles, who would bring salvation to the world. And these guys, these guys had been waiting and passing it on, and waiting, and passing it on, and waiting, and passing it on. And all of a sudden, they see the sign, the star that they've been looking for, and it impacts them, and it moves them, and it causes them to act. So they travel, but they don't just travel, they travel bearing gifts. And friends, those gifts, as I said, the response reveals what we've truly seen. Those gifts reveal who they see in this Child, look at this gold. They bring gold. What is gold? Gold is a gift for a king. Gold speaks to authority, it speaks to royalty, it speaks to that prophecy in Isaiah 9 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Herod saw a threat. All of Jerusalem saw trouble that's not worth messing with. The chief priests, they saw a text 
They saw a prophecy, but it didn't move them. The Persian priest, the Magi, the Magi, the very least people you would expect, see a king. And they bring gold. They bring an offering that cost them something. They don't bring a sloppy second. They bring gold, friends. And not the gold that that Father Christmas brought my children this morning, which are those little chocolate-filled gold coins, which are great, by the way. Gold. Incredible. Frankincense. What does frankincense speak to? It speaks to the priestly nature of this king that they see. You see, frankincense is an incense of, of presence. It speaks to the, this idea that this king, this king who they've come to worship is the king who would usher God's presence to his people. This is Emmanuel. So they give a gift saying, this is who you are. This is who we see in you. God with his people. No longer do we have to get access to the the king of all kings. No longer do we have to come to God through the sacrifice of lambs. So God has come to his people and that's what we're declaring in these gifts. And thirdly, myrrh. Myrrh isn't an embalming fluid when someone has died. That's a very odd thing to give an infant. It's a very odd thing to give a parent who's just had a child. And it's a prophetic word that these pagan Persian priests, get that in your head, are giving this child. And they're saying, this is who we see. We see the king of the Jews, Messiah. We see the priest, the high priest, the one who will bring God's presence to his people. But we also see a saviour who will suffer in order to achieve that. And so we are bringing this so that you would know that there would be something. It says in Luke that Mary treasured all of these things in her heart. Can you imagine what she's seeing? Can you imagine what's going on in her mind in all of this? Flip an egg. What a journey. What the heck? Who is this child going to be? That is who the Magi see. Band, you can come up. They see the king, they see the high priest, they see the saviour who would suffer and die for the sins of humanity. And what is their response? What is their response? Come on, church. Worship. 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 My question is, who do you see? My question is, this Christmas, what do you see? My question is, you gather around the table, maybe at lunch today, maybe at dinner today, maybe for you today's a wonderful day where you're going to have like, you know, 55 grandkids around the table, as some families in this church probably will have. (laughs) Maybe it's a great celebration, but I also know that there's people sitting in this room right now who today's going to be an awfully difficult day. There are some of you who will wave goodbye to your children after this service and spend the day alone. Guess what? In Jesus, you have a saviour who suffers with you. In Jesus, you have a king who has come to redeem you.
In Jesus, there is a king worth worshipping. A king worth worshipping. Who do you see? What do you see? I was running through scripture in preparation. Do you see Jesus in the midst of all the noise? Do you see Jesus in the midst of COVID and crisis? Do you see Jesus in the midst of celebration and fun? Guess what? John did. John saw the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and his mission was fulfilled. The leper did. He saw the one who could make him clean and guess what? His spots were made whole. The centurion did. He saw a commander who operated in great authority and his servant was healed. Guess what? The demoniac from the tombs of the Gadarenes did. He saw the son of the living God who had power to cast judgment. And guess what? His mind was returned to him. Zacchaeus did. He saw a friend. And because he saw a friend, he returned everything that he had stolen fourfold. He became generous. Philip did. He saw the fulfilment of the law and the prophets. And he went and told his friends. Mary did. She saw the risen Lord and proclaimed it as the first evangelist the church had ever seen. Peter did. He saw the Christ, the Son of the living God, and his life was transformed. Stephen did. He saw the risen Lord seated at the right hand of the Father and became the first martyr of the church. Lois and Eunice did. They saw Jesus as Saviour of the world and raised a son to carry on the mantle to go and preach the Word. We could go on and on and on. All through Scripture, there were people who saw the Lord. I have seen the Lord high and lifted up. Who do you see? Do you see a religious figure? Do you see a moral teacher? Do you see just a thing that you do on a Sunday? Or do you see Christ, the Son of the living God, who demands your life, your all, who demands one Response and one response only that we would lay down our lives, that we would fall on our knees and we would give this King worship. May Christmas this year be about worship. May tomorrow not be about Boxing Day cricket match. May it be about worshipping the King of Kings. May the next day be about worship and the next day be about worship. Why? Because the King has come, church. Come on, somebody. The King has come. The King has come. This is what Christmas is about. The King has come. The King has come. And he's yes, He's a threat to your own kingdom, but you lay it down and you get life. Yes, He's come and it's going to cause a little bit of trouble. But guess what? He has overcome the world. Yes, He has come as the fulfilment of prophecy and there is much to learn. But guess what? He's not just a written word. He is a living word who wants intimacy with you. He is the King. He is the priest. He is the Saviour of the world and He is worthy of worship. Amen. So church, we're going to stand to our feet and we are going to make a statement right here, right now, this Christmas, that regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what's going through our minds right now, regardless of whether we're stressed or excited about what's about to happen after this with family or not with family, whatever's going on, He is worthy of worship and we're going to begin this day worshipping the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And I would love 
If you are someone who wants to make a physical sign of that, if you're not a hand raiser, maybe today's the opportunity just to raise them a little bit. If you're someone who wants to come and kneel, come and kneel before the King of Kings. Fall on your knees. What a great kid's message. That's an adult message, veiled as a child's message. Fall on your knees. Let us respond because there is no one in Scripture who encounters Christ and doesn't respond in one way, shape or form. He demands a response. Will we crown Him or will we kill Him? Because ultimately, that's all that's left to do. My prayer for each and every one of us is we would crown Him Lord of our lives. Father God, we love You. We thank You for who you are and what you've done. We worship you this Christmas. And may this worship extend to a lifestyle of devotion before the true King who has come to set sinners, of whom I am the worst, free. And whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. Amen. Let's worship our great and mighty King. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.